Welcome to Parenthood Pals. I'm Caleb Hoyer. I'm Melissa Fight Johnson. And today we're so happy to be joined by my uncle, Lyle Holtis. Welcome, Lyle. Yay. Hi, hey, everybody. How are you guys today? <laughs> we're great. Good. How are you? I'm great. For anyone listening on the day that this episode is released, today is my birthday. Happy birthday! And <laughs> Michael B. Jordan's birthday. So happy, happy birthday. birthday, Michael B. Jordan. Happy and birthday. Caleb. And Caleb, too. <laughs> and it's also Melissa's unbirthday. Oh, she's, that's true. She's exactly six months off of me. That's cool. Yeah. Anyway, we're just so happy to have you here, Lyle. <laughs> Lyle is my father's sister's husband. And he yeah. was a, like a family friend of my family's before they got married. But I was little then. I don't really remember that. I only really yeah. know you as my uncle. You were just barely cognizant. You were like a drooling little child. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but this is true. Lyle, where are you joining us from today? Um, I'm joining from Overland Park today in Kansas, in suburb of Kansas City. And I grew up in Smith Center, Kansas, which is north central Kansas. I call it Dances with Wolves Country because <laughs> if you remember that movie, you know, it's kind of a place that's open prairie and sparsely populated. But I grew up there. I enjoyed growing up there. And then I went to college in Lindsburg, Kansas, a private school called Bethany. And then I did my graduate work at Pittsburgh State, where I met Just where I, Caleb's yeah. dad. Yay, Pittsburgh! <laughs> That's where I went to school, yeah. <laughs> Go Gorillas! <laughs> Woo-woo! <laughs> Can you tell us about your family growing up and the family that you have now? Uh, we were in a family of five when I grew up, and we had all boys, so it was kind of like a fraternity, <laughs> and we enjoyed it. We would have little powwows, not with mom and dad, like in the upstairs bathroom, and we would discuss you know, what was happening in our lives, we would discuss how our plan of action was going to be towards doing what we were going to do in our lives. And it was pretty cool, because we had intimate discussions and world discussions. So we were tight as the three boys. And I was the youngest, my oldest, Mike, he lives in Virginia. And uh, he's retired, but he was in the military. He was also a consultant to the military. And my middle brother is Mitch Holtis. He's the voice of the Kansas City Chiefs. Hi, I'm Mitch Holtis, voice of the world champion, Kansas City Chiefs. I actually thought that was going to be Caleb's fun fact when he was like, <laughs> fun fact. So I have a fun fact for later, and it's parenthood related. Oh, so very interesting. Fun. And I was the baby of the family, so I was like Caleb. I was the cute, darling little boy that uh, <laughs> got all the stuff done. So that was my family. And then my personal family, I'm married to Caleb's. Uh, Aunt, Aunt Jan. And uh, <laughs> we have a daughter, Laura, who's 26. And Aaron is my middle child, 24. And Adam is my youngest. He is 22. And uh, we're pretty tight knit family. I love your family. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I think I'll just say they're the best kids in the world. And I'm sure Lyle will agree. Oh, I think so. Yeah. <laughs> they are super cool people. And Jan and all, it's, it's a great family. And, you know, I got to say, some of the people that Caleb has on as guests, I don't know when I'm meeting them for the first time, but that is not the case with Lyle. Yeah. I've known Lyle for like 20 years or something like that. Yeah. And I remember when I was in high school, uh, Jay and I stayed at Jan and Lyle's uh, for spring break. <laughs> and it That's was so right. fun. It was like my first time away from home. 
<laughs> and we just had so much fun going out to eat in Kansas City and hanging out with you all and playing cards at night with yeah, you and board games. We're big game games. players. It was good times. Great I times. I love it. Well, I've got to say something about Parenthood Pals is that I keep thinking about Puppet Pals on... <laughs> Do you, do you remember the cartoon um, Dexter's Laboratory? Vaguely, I Vaguely. never watched it. Well, yeah. they had a little, they had a side segment called the uh, Puppet Pals. And when I hear <laughs> Caleb and you sing that song, I think of the Parenthood Pals. I love my Parenthood Pals. You know? that's really nice so puppet Thank yeah you. puphead pals is what i sing so. <laughs> it's, it's this earworm that just gets in my head you know? caleb's good with the with the yeah. you know hooks yeah i saw i didn't know that cartoon i i now it makes me think of popples do you guys remember popples? yes yes I popples you could swish i don't them, know if they were a cartoon or uh, just a toy but yeah they i had think a it was a pouch on their back and you could Turn yeah. them inside out. <laughs> Stuff them in their own. You could turn them inside out. Yeah. Popples. Uh, yeah. Popple pals. Popple. Popplehood pals. See, you could do yeah. puppethood pals. Popple. Yeah. Oh gosh, we have a new project now, Melissa. We're gonna we're gonna shoot a whole episode of Parenthood <laughs> with popples. <laughs> yes. Yeah, or puppets. Yeah. You know, I'm Zeke, and I'm, I'm I'm feeling like a real jerk today. What are you doing, Camille? <laughs> I'm over here doing my art. It's really great. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Think about it. Puppethood pals. Oh, that is a all great right. idea. Or popple popplehood pals. Yeah. Or both. It, we can mix them. It can yeah. all be. All the Bravermans are puppets and all the guest stars are popples. (laughs) (laughs) And they turn themselves inside out. (laughs) Because they're not Bravermans. That's right. It's just so sad. Well, uh, the last question we always ask is what your history with the show Parenthood was. It's very interesting because I really like the original 1989 movie. Yeah. With with, uh, Steve Martin. I'm a big Steve Martin fan and was a big Steve Martin fan and uh he has the same birthday that i do wow and when i was in high school i imitated a lot of his comedy because we do floor shows in high school and stuff and i would steal some of his material and <laughs> so people even thought i kind of looked like steve martin back I in the that. day i so totally kinda, see it yeah. his character in the movie reminded me of you Oh, really? Yeah. Just like his mannerisms and also that he was like this really good guy and a really enthusiastic father and always trying to do the right thing. And it's just a lot of Lyle-ish traits. That's, yeah. I think there might have been something like he influenced me possibly and that's where that came from. Or just coincidentally, we were like one another. Um, the, The note of trivia about the Parenthood movie and about myself is there's kind of a six degrees of separation between that. Uh, Rance Howard is in that movie, and that's Ron Howard's dad. Do you guys know that? I did not know that. Yeah, he was a cowboy actor. He was in the Andy Griffith show. He was a character in the Andy Griffith show, um, kind of a minor character in that, but he played a lot of Westerns and things like that. But he was in a movie that was a straight-to-television, public television movie called Home on the Range which was based on the history of the home on the range cabin, which exists eight miles away from my boyhood home. Oh, wow. Yeah. And uh, my dad helps to establish preserving that cabin where the home on the range song was written. 
but his dream was to have a movie made of it. And they actually did make a movie of it. And Rance Howard was in that movie with my brother, Mitch, who played a what? radio announcer from the 30s in that movie. <laughs> That's perfect. Lloyd <laughs> Faulkner, everybody, the lonesome cowboy. And you're listening to radio station KFBI in Abilene, Kansas. And so in a roundabout way, I have a connection with Rance Howard and a connection with the Parenthood movie. So that's there too. The Parenthood show, I think I watched way back when, when it was first out and we tried watching it, my wife and I, and it just didn't jive with us. I think we were too close to having kids at that point. We needed more of an escapist kind of a program. So we didn't watch it back then, but I've been watching recent episodes and I'd sort of rekindled kind of an interest in the whole thing because they cover such a huge gamut of parenthood and life in general. And I can see how the interest gets stoked with that because ranging from things like autism to, you know, sexuality to teenage issues, all those kind of things, it just covers such a broad spectrum that I think it's pretty interesting how that is coming about. It leads me to a question for you guys. Fun. Well, how did you start with Parenthood? Why not another program? Why not Buffy the Vampire or something like that? <laughs> Actually, I love Buffy the Vampire Slayer. <laughs> I don't know that Caleb does. <laughs> I've never, I think outside of the musical episode, I don't think mm. I've ever seen a whole episode of it. Oh, wow. Well, I know that we just really knew we wanted to do a podcast together, um, which did you know that was my husband's idea? He would like through the whole pandemic, Caleb and I just hung out constantly on Zoom, um, like when it started, um, you know, summertime and, and well, actually, I guess the spring, but I wasn't really teaching that much. It was, it was like this weird condensed thing. Yeah, oh, yeah. I'm, I'm going way too much into detail, but it was um, weird. Yeah. It, it was also weird. And so I think Caleb and I found it really comforting to talk and, and we would watch TV together. Uh, we would like count down <laughs> and then play it at the same time. And then we would talk and Mark, my husband would walk through the room and he was like, you two have the most interesting conversations about the shows and you should do a podcast. And so I think at first we were like, oh, that's flattering, but we wouldn't do that. But then we were like, yes, we would. We will. <laughs> yeah. You know, I've got to say, I've listened to like three of your previous podcasts. They're really good. Thank you. It's very entertaining. <laughs> I'm hard to entertain. I really am. So I find it very entertaining. So oh, kudos to you guys. When I think Thanks. we were thinking of the shows that we both liked mm-hmm. and yeah. either it was like Friends, which seems a little like a little daunting for one thing, because there's like over 200 episodes. And it's also like, are we going to have deep discussions about Friends as much as we love it? Or like yeah. Gilmore Girls, and there already is a fantastic podcast devoted mm-hmm. to that. And then we even toyed with like, well, maybe we should do a show that only one of us has seen. So one of us is a fan and one of us is new to it. Like Felicity is like Melissa's favorite yeah, show. Yeah, right, right. But somehow we, I think we landed on that parenthood would spark a lot of good discussions. And we both had watched it when it was on. So we had even enjoyed it mutually mm-hmm. then as well. And then also in this time, it just seemed like a show about family felt so comforting mm-hmm, when mm-hmm. the world is going through all of this. Right, right. Thank you for asking us. That's so nice. Yeah, <laughs> it makes a lot of sense. After watching several episodes, there's just such, you know, varying topics that you can have some pretty good discussions and deep discussions with it. So kudos to you guys for doing it. Well, let's get to today's episode, which is 
Parenthood Season 2, Episode 9. Uh, episode 209 on February 9th. Ah. Oh, my God. It's called Perfect. Put Yourself Out There. It was written by Bridget Carpenter and directed by Patrick Norris, and it originally aired on November 16th, 2010. I think I found another synopsis on IMDb, which, confession, that's just where I pull these synopses from, that is not an official NBC publicity synopsis. Because oh. this one's super short. I mean, it gets to the point. But here's what it, here's what IMDb has. Sarah lends Amber a helping hand. Christina discovers an unexpected friendship. Tensions run high between Zeke and Camille, while Crosby and Joel explore their creative sides. That's really vague. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yeah. Well, let's start with, I think, what I found to be the most satisfying storyline in this episode. And that was Zeke and Camille's oh, yeah. marital issues in this episode. Let's begin with a clip. You know, Zeke and Camille are working on their communication. And here was the first kind of example of one of them trying to be a good communicator about a sensitive topic. There's something I have to tell you. The teacher who was scheduled to teach this course had a conflict and is not going to be able to be there for the first few sessions. And the substitute teacher is Matthew. Matthew Biscali. Uh So... Wanted to be open about it. Of course, there's nothing going on. It's all very professional. Yeah, professional, huh? Look, Zeke, I need to take this course. It's the only time all year they're offering figure studies. This is life drawing. You know, with life models, it's what I've been struggling with. So I just didn't want to hide anything, but at the same time, I didn't want to make a big deal out of it either. So um, I want to take the class and... um, and I'm going to take the class, okay? Yeah. Great. Thanks. We, we were all doing hand puppets through that whole clip. <laughs> now the idea is planted in our mind. But so oh. what did you guys think about Camille's heads up to Zeke? Did she do an effective job communicating with her husband? Personally, I thought she handled that pretty perfectly. You know, she I liked what she said about... I didn't want to hide anything, but I didn't want to make a big deal out of it. As you know, there's nothing going on. I don't know. I thought A plus from me, but I'm really curious to know what what you and Lyle think. Mm -hmm. Well, I will go ahead and say I agree with you. I think she pretty much did what she needed to do. Laying it all out there is really the best way to handle that. It really is. And a lot of people will not disclose that or will give half truths about it in the effort to avoid a conflict or avoid getting yelled at or avoid just avoiding in general. And I applaud Camille for doing that. I might have added the idea that when she said, I just wanted to let you know about that, take some time to think about that, process that. It's really important for me. She said it was important for her to do it, but I would allow him some time there's a lot of baggage there. And I looked at previous episodes and saw some of that. Uh, It's not unsurprising the elements that took place in that whole affair situation or his affair situation. But because they have that previous situation, the previous baggage, I think it's important to allow Zeke to have time to think about what he wants to say. And it comes out later in the episode, it makes for greater drama when you don't say let's just think about it let's talk about it in a a little bit of time I just I I care about you 
I think the thing is, you got to say I statements like I needed that, but I care about you. I want to let you know because I care about you mm. and I care about a relationship. And that would help Zeke to know, okay, you're just not being flippant about, I got to take this class, get over it. I think if you think about your partner and you t- have an I statement about, I wanted to discuss this with you because I care about you. That goes a long way when you put that on somebody else to show that you're appreciating them. When you honor somebody, you know, you want to honor your spouse or you want to honor your father or your mother. Whenever you say that, and she says this, I think in the episode, talking about honor possibly or another word that means honor, but a value. The idea that if you say you value somebody, I, I'm going to tell you this because I value your opinion. I value your feelings. It can really soften somebody's heart, even like a character like Zeke. I think it can soften his heart a little bit. So, but pretty much I'd give her like a, you know, an A on this, not an A plus, but I give her an A on her communication skills with Zeke. Yeah, that's really well said. I totally concur. I thought it was just very considerate of her. I especially liked that she did it in advance rather than saying like, oh, hey, guess who was teaching my class today? As if she didn't know. And I also thought it was interesting you could tell that she didn't want to ask him for permission. You know, she never said, is this okay with you? Mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. I thought I kind of liked that. Cause I, I think something she is learning. One of the skills she's working on in herself is setting some boundaries and kind of sticking up for herself rather than mm-hmm, cause Zeke is mm-hmm. such a strong personality that I think she's probably for 40 years been in his shadow or shrunk away from him. Cause it's just easier to deal with him. And I don't think she should have to necessarily ask permission. Mm-hmm. Agreed. I did also yeah. note, though, I said, if if anything, I think it might have been nice to ask him how he felt about that. But like you said, I it still is an A for me. I wonder if she just didn't want to open that door, because I, I really love what you both said about maybe making it clear, you know, the, the I statements and, and I care about you. But I wonder if she was just practicing that speech. Like it almost seemed like she was practicing it on the drive home. And like the thing I have to be sure that I say is I want to take the class. I'm going to take the class Mm -hmm. because he's not going to want me to take it. I already know that. And if I ask him for his opinion, he'll, he'll take that as asking for permission. And so I think that's a tricky balance and something that (laughs) I watched this episode with Mark, something that he said that I really loved was he was like, you know, the fact that Zeke cheated first really gives him no ground to stand on. Like if Camille was the only one who had cheated, perhaps that conversation would have needed to go differently. Maybe she would have had to be like, is this okay with you? But since he started it kind <laughs> of, the, and I wondered what you thought about that assertion that Zeke doesn't have a leg to stand on. And and that makes me wonder, does he have the right to be hurt or jealous or upset? Because of course he does. He's a human, but it's a little hypocritical, I guess. What, what did you think of that? I really didn't take that into account because I know that he had cheated before, but I really didn't think of it was high consequence. There is an element related to that where he doesn't have a leg to stand on. But frankly, Camille is okay to advocate for herself in this. This is something that's important to her. Yeah. And it's not about Matthew. It's not about Zeke. It's about something that's personally important to her. And you have to make your choices in life about what sacrifices you're going to make and what things you're not going to sacrifice. And I think she thought about this and was still thinking about it. I think she was still thinking about maybe I shouldn't take the class. The idea that it was only two weeks helps a little bit. 
that it's not an eight week course or something like that because you're limiting the amount of time. And I'm going to get into that later in the podcast. But the real idea was she shouldn't ask for permission on this. If it's important to her, she needs to let him know that this is important to me. And I want to take this class. It's very important. I'm going to take the class. Now, there's always consequences of that because he could blow up. He could not accept that. He could ask for a divorce just based on that. But sometimes you have to risk that. And it's a minor risk versus a major risk. But for asking for permission in this, in their state, their maturity, their number of years in their relationship, you don't have to ask for that. I think it's important that you just say, hey, I'm letting you know that this is important to me and I'm going to do it. I don't know that it ever occurred to me the issue of who cheated on who first, but I did notice when they are in therapy that he said, yeah, I cheated. I had an affair, but she did too. And I did note the distinction of he had an affair that I think we are supposed to believe was a long-term relationship with someone else. She slept with a guy once. Yeah. <laughs> That's not the I, same. Now, if your goal in the marriage is to repair the relationship, I think there is a certain amount of like, we can't tit for tat this. Yeah. You got to just kind of set that aside. But I did think those are not the same thing. They're both bad and they both would hurt the other person. And I think those hurt feelings are definitely valid. But I, I did, my eyebrow went up a little bit at his characterization of she had an affair too. Yeah, one night she gave in. Okay. I do think you have to come to a point where you, whether both have had an affair or one has had an affair, there's a reason why those affairs take place. And people say, oh, it just happened. But really it didn't just happen because I think a couple of things happen here. One is that one spouse may not be showing appreciation to the other. You know, the idea that familiarity can breed contempt, the idea that you're not showing the affection or you're not showing the interest that you need to show in your partner. The other idea is that you're finding something more exciting in somebody else, but it leads back to that idea that your, your partner is not paying enough attention to you or not giving you the kind of appreciation or value that you once had in the relationship. So now somebody comes along and they, you're the best thing since sliced bread. Who are you going to gravitate to? You're going to gravitate to that person who suddenly appreciates you or wants to get to know you or certainly has interest in you. And so that's where it all starts. Mm -hmm. So it's not necessary that one spouse cheats and then the second spouse cheats. So, you know, Zeke, really says that, but it's a situation where it doesn't matter because in the relationship, if you've got a monogamous relationship, it's about commitment. And I always talk about, if you want to boil down to what love really is, love is commitment. And when you have strayed from that commitment from your spouse, you've broken that commitment. So then you have to figure out how to repair that trust, how to repair the original relationship that you had. Now it's a, you're probably going to have to have a Phoenix situation of having a brand new relationship <laughs> yeah. that maybe didn't resemble the first dating relationship that you had. Um, so it's kind of a do-over. When you do over, you also need to, you can't forget about what happened, but you really need to try to. So whether it was one time or whether it was multiple times over a long period of time, 
you still have to let all of that go. Yeah. Um, because what happens when Zeke says, you know, I had an affair, but she had an affair too. My dad used to call it up digging up dead cats. <laughs> <laughs> and it's the idea that you bring all this stuff up from the past when you really mm. should be concentrating on your present relationship and your future relationship, but you end up rekindling all these hurt feelings that you had, all these transgressions, you reopen those old wounds and it doesn't help anything. You need to heal from those. You need to do the therapeutic thing and talk about them and communicate them. But after it's over, you need to try to concentrate on the here and now and what's going on. You know, what's fascinating about that is I feel like that's what Camille is doing in this episode. She doesn't ever bring up the fact that Zeke had an affair. She is just constantly trying to swivel them to the present. She's like, do you trust me? You know, she she's she's not throwing this back in his face. He's the one who mentions it at the therapist. And, you know, something else that I find interesting is I think it's vital that she take a class like this because the whole reason that Zeke cheated in the first place that we kind of learned in a, another episode is she says, you didn't see me anymore. I got swallowed up by you, really, and you no longer saw me. And art is the thing that makes her not get swallowed up. It's the, you know, it's the passion that she has that makes her feel good about herself and probably makes her weirdly like more appealing to Zeke in the first place. And so it's this fascinating cycle where she can't give that up. If she does, she becomes small again, and then he might not appreciate or value her. And it's, yeah, I just, yeah. I also thought it was probably intentional that they said the issue she was having trouble with in art was drawing live people. Yeah. Uh You always see her painting her house painting plants, painting uh-huh. the attic, yeah. you know. But yeah. she says, I've been struggling with live figures. With living things, with things that are animated. Yeah, yeah. it's kind of uh, symbolic of what's happening in her life and her relationship. Yeah, For sure. Well, if we gave Camille an A, maybe not A+, plus, but an A for her communication, I, I would love to know what we would give, what grade we would <laughs> give to Zeke. God. Hi. Hi. All right, I got a question. Are you going to be leaving that class taught by your fling or what? (laughs) That was mostly just because I find it funny. Yeah. (laughs) And like this scene goes on, he does rephrase it, but I... Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. These people are not quite on the same level of uh, (laughs) maturity around this subject. You know, it talks later in the episode. uh, The therapist, I think, says talk about your feelings or talk about how you're feeling or something like that in the therapy session. And he has initially has a hard time with it, but then he says, I feel hurt. I feel Uh, jealous. He finally jealous. He mentions jealous in there, which are all true, but you know, deep down, I'm wondering about the fear issue and you know, he's a big tough guy, but the idea that when you've experienced that affair kind of an issue there's always that fear that it's going to happen again. And, you know, he talks about uh, when he goes and talks to Matthew, Ugh. he, I think he tells Camille later on, you know, just leave what's mine or don't take what's mine. And the possession issue just kind of sets Camille off to, to a certain degree. But the idea, if he would have said, please don't, you know, take away my relationship or please don't take away you know, the kind of relationship that I have with my wife, I think that would have been a better statement of communication. 
I give his communication in that instance probably a D below <laughs> average, but he got better with it as the time went on. But, you know, it's tough for some people to talk about their feelings. And so I think if you can work through it, if you can keep talking, if you can keep communicating, it's important. If you'll notice in this episode, too, he does a lot of you statements. Are you going to leave the class? He needs to stay more with I statements. You know, I'm really not so keen on you taking this class. I really want you to not take it. There's a different bent to that when you say you, I want you to get out of it. I want, what are you and your fling going to, it's really about his communication, about how he's really feeling, about what he really wants and what he's afraid of. If he would have said to Camille, I'm just afraid that this is going to happen. I want to trust you. I really do trust you, but I'm afraid to just say I'm afraid is very important. I'm afraid of what Matthew's going to do. I'm afraid about that. Yeah. And if that tough guy like that said something like I'm afraid to his wife, just how differently she would immediately respond because she would know what a significant statement that is for him to make and that it's not a possessive thing. It's a feeling he's feeling. Something that I've learned is that I think if Zeke could have come to her and said, let's, let's think about this. I want, here's what I want. You can take the class. You can take the two weeks of class, but here are my conditions. I want you to watch your eye contact and I want to watch your physical proximity with Matthew. Think about it. If you think about your eye contact, if you think about how close you are, you think about touching somebody if you're aware of that and you make sure that you're distancing yourself to a certain degree, you can basically almost a fair proof relationships if you think about it beforehand. Because think about when you go into a restaurant or go into a bar, you can't do it now because of COVID, of course, but think about when you've gone to a restaurant or a bar and two people are sitting next to one another. If they're having eye contact and they're close in proximity, what do you think is happening in that? When you look at that, in your mind, what do you feel about their relationship or what's going on in that situation? I think you would assume there's some intimacy. Exactly. And that's what that's all about. If you want to decrease the intimacy and be professional, you think about your eye contact and your physical proximity. If you want to increase that intimacy, you want to increase the eye contact and increase your physical proximity. That's going to lend to that. That's why a lot of people go, well, it just happened. I don't know what happened. It's because they got, think about people getting their faces close to one another. Look at movies, look at TV shows. When they get their faces close to each other, what do you think is going to happen? They're going to kiss. <laughs> they go, oh my gosh, I kissed you. I don't realize what happened. It kind of happened because their faces were close to one another. So I think if Zeke could have kind of talked to Camille about, it's okay to take the class. I just want you to, to do this one thing for me. It might've helped. That makes a lot of sense. But I I wonder how she would have even taken that. Like, I think admitting he was afraid, I think, yes, that would have been really good. That would have been vulnerable, which I think she really wants him to be and not be the tough guy version. I think she's so over that. But I think if he had said, I'm okay with you taking the class on these conditions, she might have interpreted that as the permission thing. But also she told him in her original speech, it's real professional, you know? And I think that's kind of what she means by that is I am gonna, you know, like there's nothing going on. It's going to be professional. And so 
I don't know. I think that that would have been a good conversation for them to have. But I also think she assumes that she's kind of already covered that. But maybe to him, no. <laughs> you know, yeah. maybe maybe tell me what professional looks like. What is that? What does that mean? Yeah, I think for guys especially, we it's just assumptions are bad. <laughs> and the idea if you're going to talk about what professional is going to look you know, what, what's professional, I think it's okay to ask that to break it down mm-hmm. a little bit. So people don't go into an unthinking mode about what's going to happen with that. But I agree with that. Yeah. I think it's conditional love to a certain degree. When you said, Melissa, if you said, well, it's okay to take the class, but I want you to do these things. You're putting conditions on her. And that could not be necessarily be a great thing for her. They could have a more constructive conversation about that, perhaps in therapy with the, the therapist there to say, well, Okay, Zeke's saying he's afraid. Camille's saying this is really important to her. Let's discuss what professional means because Camille has promised to be professional. Does this mean you're going to limit your eye contact and physical proximity? And if so, if it's not a Zeke wants to control Camille, but a we're all going to be on the same page about (laughs) details, exactly what this means. Because I thought when Zeke went to see Matthew, obviously that is hugely out of line and agreed humiliating to Camille but in a very weird way I understood well I understood his impulse to do it because she had that scene where she asked him if he trusted her and I liked that he seemed to actually think about it he didn't just say yes he considered it and then he really honestly said yes and I believed him but it reminded me about parents with teenagers who want to drive somewhere (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and they say, "What? Don't you trust me?" And the the parent will say, "I trust you. I don't trust all the other drivers on the road." And I thought, "Oh, I think that's what's happening with Matthew. I think he does trust Camille, but I don't think he trusts Matthew." But the solution to the, to that yeah. is not go confront him without telling your wife. You know, another element here is uh, the element of margin, and the idea of when you go into environments or situations that could be potentially dangerous, you can get into situations where you're suddenly caught into something that you can't get out of. And like, let's think about what if they would have had the class and Matthew approaches her after class and wants to touch her or wants to talk to her or, you know, talk about something not related to art, but just, you know, how are you doing and what's going on? You're in a situation where you're suddenly in this environment where it's more problematic than it would be if you were in the class with all the other people around and you're doing your art and all that kind of stuff. It's the idea like if you have that margin, if you have that space or you realize I'm not going to get in that situation. If he asked me to meet him after class, I'm just going to say, sorry, I can't do that. I need to go home. I'm going to go home. It's the same idea like if you take a glass of water and you put it on your table and you put it right next to the very edge of the table <laughs> and you say, that's good. The water's there. It's fine. The table's holding it. What could possibly go wrong? But if you take the glass and move it two inches to the interior of the table, do you feel better about that? Do you, the people looking around you, does it, does it uh, lessen the tension? Does it create a situation where you have better options? It's that same kind of thing. If you create some margin in there, then you won't be in the, in the situations that you are going to find difficult. 
And I think that's where Camille and Zeke are talking about not taking those class or not taking those two weeks is just eliminate the whole environment. Just take away the whole thing. So I think it's important to consider margin when you're in that kind of a situation. Yeah, no, I, I like that. And it's it's true. I I hadn't really thought about this, but I do think having a conversation about what her taking the class could look like would have been a really good idea. And it's one I, yeah, I just hadn't thought of that. And, uh, you know, the first thing that Zeke says that in that initial conversation, when Camille brings this up, I think the first thing he says is professional. Like, I think he repeats that word Mm -hmm. sounding really skeptical. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, if you trace it back to that, I think, yeah, defining that word could have been really helpful. And I think you're absolutely right. Boundaries like, well, I'll leave the class right when it's over. There won't be any one-on-one time or, or us just talking alone after class. Because you're right. That is how, how these things happen. When people are like, I have no idea what happened. That's yeah. how things happen. And it's not, there's no <laughs> yeah. intention of anything happening. You know, it, it just happens at that point. So, yeah. yeah. It was cool to see them in therapy. And we do have to mention... Friday Night Lights Alert! (laughs) (laughs) So their therapist was played by Angela Rana, and she was Regina Howard, Vince's mother, on Friday Night Lights. And Vince is Michael B. Jordan, and he's in this episode too. That was so much fun. And we even get a a sneak peek, not sneak peek, a small peek, peek, of Minka Kelly as Gabby at the end. So there are three Friday Night Lights actors in this episode. And I was asking Melissa before we got on, I think that might be the record for the most in a single episode. Because It is so us, far. We, could think, we couldn't think of any others where there's three of them. Now we'll be on the lookout for it. We That's will. the one to beat. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, she, she played the great Dr. Schechter. I thought she was great. I thought she and was it's such too. a different role than um, Vince's mom, um, who's like like struggles with with drugs and alcohol on Friday Night Lights and stuff. So it was it was cool to see her in a like one hundred percent totally different role. And yeah, it was very cool. Yeah. Well, let's just let's just deal with the resolution or lack thereof <laughs> storyline. What did you say to my art teacher? told him to stay away from my wife. And I told you nothing was going on. Yeah, well, I wanted to tell him myself. It's so humiliating. It's humiliating for you. What do you think it is for me? humiliating for me, Camille. You ask me, and you ask me and ask me to share my feelings with you. And when I do, I tell you how I'm feeling. This situation makes me feel like crap. And you say, so what? So I went to your little Portuguese pound cake, and I told him to stay away from what's mine. What's yours? You know what I mean. Yeah, I know what you mean. Yeah. Exactly what you mean. All this time in therapy! Talk about change! You haven't changed. You don't change. You haven't changed a bit. Really? Yeah, really.
Oh my God. You know, I, I, <laughs> I'll stop just sharing randomly what my husband says, but it was interesting. His reaction to that was so strong. He was like, leave him. I would leave him. He wish he was like angry that she was married. <laughs> and he loves Craig T. Nelson. You know, he's usually like super charmed by him, but he was so affected by that. And, you know, and I was too, honestly, I, that, that, that line of, I went to your Portuguese pancake and told him to stay away pound from cake. what's pound cake. pound cake. What did I say? Did I say porch cake? That's pancake. Pancake, whatever. <laughs> That's a real thing. <laughs> That's a real thing. A pancake is. A porch yeah. cake is not. Um, and told her to stay away from what's mine. I'm like... That's like the single worst thing Zeke has ever said on this show. Hopefully that he'll ever say again. I'm like, that's just so awful and and so humiliating for Camille. The only thing he said in that whole speech where I had any sympathy for him was when he said, um, I wanted to tell him myself. It was something like that. And I thought, it must make you feel incredibly out of control that your wife has slept with this person and she is taking the class and you really don't get a say. This really isn't up to you. That must make you feel really out of control. But that doesn't mean that you take over and you go get control and you, you know, you have to learn how to deal with that because I bet Camille probably felt out of control knowing that her husband was having an affair for all those years. She had to find a way to make peace with it. And I think he has to make a way, you know, find a way to make peace with this. So... What are, what are your thoughts? Well, I agree. I agree with you to a lot of it. I think he's still hurt and angry from the original affair. And I don't think he's worked through it well. I don't think he's worked through it with her. If you note, after this conversation occurs, what happens? He starts throwing a bunch of stuff around. I think he's partially angry at himself. Because he started all this, like got the ball rolling. Got the ball rolling and he's not dealing with it well. He realized he made a mistake to go talk to the Portuguese pound cake, you know, and to use that kind of term. Here's another thing that's it's, it's an element in here that I see with kids that have anger issues is that a lot of verbal garbage going on here. Portuguese pound cake, uh, your little hot guy that you had, your, your fling, you know, when you say verbally things that you really I, I do believe that he cares for Camille. He loves her. Um, he's had 46 years of marriage with her. That's not nothing. Yeah. Um, I think they've had good kids. They've had good relate. They've got grandkids together, the whole thing. And he doesn't want to blow it. And I think he feels like he's blowing it and he is angry. And a lot of you get a verbal overflow of just stuff that comes out of your mouth that you don't really mean. It doesn't forgive it, but as a person dealing with it, you have to kind of dig down to go, is this really who this guy is or is it something deeper in there? And so I think we always have to think about that when we get that kind of verbiage going on, but he didn't handle it well at all, but he's got issues. He's still got issues that are unresolved about the whole thing. Yeah. See, I felt the most sympathy for him in that scene when he said, you know, you asked me to share my feelings and I say, it makes me feel like crap. And you say, so what? Cause I think he has really been making an effort you know, like you said earlier, I it's I don't think it's easy for a lot of guys, especially guys of that generation, mm-hmm. to share their feelings or to be vulnerable. Yeah. Um, I mean, I think even to this day, that's a lot of the messages that boys get is you can't show anyone what you're feeling. But he's working he's working on it. Mm-hmm. And he did tell her several times. 
And I can see how he feels like those feelings are just being dismissed by her. That it's, okay, I hear that you're hurt and angry and jealous. I hear it makes you feel like crap. And that does not outweigh my desire to take the class. And I think he just hears, I don't care if you're hurt. And I don't think that's what she means. No. But I get why he he might take it that way. But on the other hand, I think he's just waited too long in this specific situation to really make it clear. Yeah, because he said it in therapy, but then he has these scenes where he's like, are you going to leave that class taught by your fling? Where he's really dismissive of... Mm -hmm how much it means to her. And I, so I don't know if she's, I don't think they're on the same wavelength about how much this means to either of them. That sounds like an ultimatum to me. You know, when he says, are you going to take that class or not? Meaning don't take that class. If you don't take that class, it's going to be hell to pay with me. Yeah. Yeah. I also was struck by when she, (laughs) she says you don't change. I thought that was so weird. Like weirdly, some of the most insulting three words someone could string together and she delivers them with, with like so contemptuously like <laughs> you haven't changed you don't change that was good you are just that the was, same person good. you've always been you're incapable of growing is pretty much what she said and also just generally there's so many things i appreciate about this storyline for one thing after that like very tidy season one finale when he sang a song to her with his ukulele and it seemed like their marriage problems were solved. I'm so happy that here we are nine episodes into the second season and their marital problems have been a pretty reliable presence. I like that they have kind of ebbed and flowed. There are some episodes where it seems like, hey, they're doing well. And other episodes like this one where it seems like, oh, they're really hitting a rough patch. That all feels very real to me. And I also just like that on this show about a big extended family, it seems like the easy way out would have the long married heads of the family just kind of coasting. Like, mm-hmm. oh, we've been married 46 years and we're good. Nothing happening, nothing rocking this boat. And I don't, I've not been married and certainly not for 46 years, but I would imagine that no, issues will always come up. You don't just hit a certain point and go, oh, we're good, leave it. I like that the show is delving into these older characters and what's happening in their romantic lives. It was so compelling. I I really loved that whole storyline. I mean, loved is maybe the wrong word because it was really painful, Um, but I I appreciated it, I suppose. Um, I thought they both acted the hell out of it. And um, even though I was so much more on her side because I thought she was just behaving a lot more maturely and rationally <laughs> there were glimmers where i was like zeke if you could just get over your pride and your you know your ego if you could just find a way to yeah be be vulnerable with your wife i i didn't think his feelings were invalid but i just thought the way he handled it was just so awful and and in a way that like belittled her and that's kind of where all their problems started in the first place again was her feeling so small i totally agree he just didn't handle it very well he needs to learn how to figure out how to soften his relationship. And I guess I haven't watched enough episodes to see the relationship. I've seen some, I saw some of the episodes where she was in the relationship with Matthew and, you know, she was really, a part of her was really enjoying it. You know, part of her was really feeling alive and feeling very good about what was happening, but part of her was struggling with it and really feeling badly about it. But I think that 
they need to figure out in the relationship, what are the good things? And really focus on those. In a relationship, I feel like it's a bank account where the most things you have in common or the most things that you can have fun with and laugh together, those are deposits in your bank account. And then when you have those disagreements, like the money thing where he had lost a bunch of money with an investment, or if the affairs take place, those are are withdrawals from your bank account. And you need to have enough built up in your account in order to weather those minor or major sins that happen in your relationship. So the idea of them getting together, having dinner together regularly, talking about what's happening, you know, on a daily basis for them to have dinner together or have, you know, one hour or 30 minutes at night where they're talking about what's going on with them or their day. And it could be minuscule, but it's, that's part of intimacy too, is just spending that time together. You know, take a vacation together, get away, go to the woods and be together for a weekend and do it as a regular thing. Do it as a a yearly thing that you would do. It can do wonders for relationships. 46 years is a long time. And you really have to remember, oh, yeah, there was a reason why I liked you way back (laughs) when we got together. And those a lot of those things are still there. People say, oh, I outgrew them or they changed or what people change. But there's elements about them that you, you really like about them. And you need to figure out what those are, if the relationship is going to survive. If you go through your work, you work day-to-day lives and you don't have those intimate moments, and that doesn't have to be sexual. It can be sensual about touching somebody's shoulder or holding hands when you go into a store or taking that little minor trip together or eating dinner together or going making a Friday night that you have dinner together. Uh, goes a long way in terms of sustaining a long-term relationship. And I I don't know if that's happening in the the first two seasons or not. Is it? Or does it need to happen for them? I think you see them connect and be a good team, but only in relationship to their children. Or grandchildren. Yeah. Yeah. They seem like really fantastic co-parents and that they are really in sync on those issues and value each other and count on each other. But I feel like if you remove those things and try and see them just relate to each other as individuals, we, we either haven't seen that or they're not very successful at it. You know, I, I never really even thought about this before you asked us this Lyle, but I don't think we've ever seen them go on a date. I don't think we've ever seen them like, like you said, like go on vacation, do something together like that. You're totally right. The only time we've really seen Camille dressed up was when she had that kind of plan in mind to go sleep with Matthew. I just never really even thought about it. I guess they're kind of taking each other for granted and maybe um, a lot of hurt there. And I feel like there's maybe they're both protecting themselves in certain ways, especially I see that with Camille protecting herself. Like I think she's, desperately trying to keep her sense of self because I think she lost it with him before. And that's easy to do. Um, That happens a lot with kids. Like parents will dive into their kids and their grandkids, but that relationship always doesn't keep going or it changes where the kids move away or you're spending more time with your spouse than you are with the family when you used to with the family. I remember when my kids all moved out and Jan and I were with each other and it was like, oh, it's you. It was like we went in a time (laughs) tunnel and we came out 30 years later and we were still the same people that we were, but we were older and looked differently. But we decided (laughs) not to let that get in the way. We decided to go, you're great. 
you know what? Oh yeah, you know what? You're great too. And we tried to figure out what was so great. What's so great about us? <laughs> and I'll tell you, I look at four factors with attractiveness. I look at looks, laughs, self-confidence, and smarts. Those four things. And think about it. When you're in your dating situation, when you're with your spouse or your future spouse or whatever, one of those four elements are going to be paramount in that relationship. Sometimes you're lucky to get all four. If you get three out of the four, you're pretty gold. But also when you your kids leave and you look at those factors, maybe you're not as attractive as you used to be. Maybe you are, but that's okay. <laughs> but can you maintain the laughter? Can you, even though you're older and maybe a little grouchier, can you have the self-confidence that you had? And also, can you be intelligent in your conversations? You know, I learned a lot about whatever you're interested in. I thought it was cool that that was, you know, find value in the other person's interests and passions. So think about Zeke. What if Zeke started talking about art? What if he asked, what do you like to, what's, what's so great about art? What do you love about art? You know, and she could talk, start talking about the colors or I like the still lifes. I suck at drawing hands. I wish I was better <laughs> at it. You know, that's funny. Yeah. yeah. We've never heard him express any interest in her art. No, mm -hmm. never. But how would that change that relationship? Just think about that for a second. And that's the yeah. smarts element that I'm talking about. Being smart in your relationship, being smart about the other person, not just going on automatic, but really thinking about being intelligent in that relationship. It's important. To be fair to Zeke, I wonder though, has has Camille ever expressed interest in like restoring cars or you know his interests? You know, because it should probably. I mean, it should definitely. It should go both ways. People kind of think this is weird about like Mark and me, but Mark loves professional wrestling, and people sort of like they they say to me like, "Oh, that must be so annoying. You must hate that." And I'm like, "No, sometimes I watch it with them or I'll go with them to pro wrestling events and people are like, "What?" You know, they think that's really weird, but I'm like, "It's supportive. He genuinely loves it. He loves it the way he loved it when he was a kid." And for people who might think that that like sounds one-sided or something, he does the exact same thing with me with poetry. That's not something that he would have done before he was with me, but now he goes to countless poetry readings. And <laughs> poetry and professional wrestling are not so different actually. Um <laughs> <laughs> and but um but yeah I mean I, I really really think that we live in this society where it's very normal to dismiss your spouse or like complain often around friends like it's it's something people do or, or they'll you know they'll be like oh he's so lazy or she's so whatever and and I don't know why, but that's like really socially acceptable, but it's like not socially acceptable to go with your husband to professional wrestling events if he loves them. I don't know. It's like a weird thing. But yeah, it's it's incredibly important to take an interest in the other person's life and giving them space to have that for themselves and not like take over, you know, and so it's important to find that balance. And yeah, they're not really doing that. That's a really good point, Lyle. I'm mm -hmm. glad you brought that up. And a caveat with that is you don't have to be interested in every last thing that they're interested right. in. Right. No, You know, course. some things could just be their thing and that's cool, <laughs> you know, but it is a good idea sometimes to show some interest. What would it be like if Camille got him a model car, yeah. of the car that he was trying to restore or a car that he had when he was a kid? You know, she did enough investigating, asking him questions about, you know, I had a 1960 five mercury comet and it was the best car it had a red interior and it was what 
what if she could find a model that and give it to him as a Aww. present? It could melt Zeke's heart, you know? Take your class. <laughs> Take 50 classes. I don't care. <laughs> His heart grew two sizes that day. <laughs> <laughs> so. I loved how this storyline sort of dovetailed with another storyline in this episode, which was not so much a story. It's just Hattie and Alex continuing to clearly Ugh, they're fall so for cute. each other. I and, can't take the cuteness. And the way that it coincided with Camille at the end. Can I tell you something? Sure. And you'll keep it just between us? Of course. I like Alex. <laughs> I like coming here and seeing him here, and he's an amazing person. He's like, I mean, you know, he's had all of this terrible stuff happen to him, and he's not bitter, which is unbelievable. Like, he, <laughs> he just is a good guy. I think it's wonderful. It's wonderful. Well, you introduced him to me. Thank you. Yeah. You're so beautiful. You're such a beautiful girl. I'm so happy for you. Thanks. <laughs> wow, look at us. <laughs> Getting all emotional over happy stuff, right? This yeah. is that was my favorite scene in the episode i love that scene yeah yeah i loved it just so unexpectedly touching and such a i thought such a smart way to you know like the scene has so much more impact knowing what camille has gone through in this episode and just what she's dealing with in her life and then to see that juxtaposition of someone in young love and then the complex, the complexity of a long, long love. And also just the, I'm such a sucker for any young, old kind of like <laughs> side by side. Just Camille seeing someone whose life is ahead of them mm-hmm. and it's all still open and it can be anything rather than someone who's the majority of their life is behind them and they got to deal with what they've already done. You know, something that really struck me about that scene was that it felt very revealing of what kind of person Camille is because she is going through such a hard time. And some people find it difficult to be happy for others when they're struggling. And she doesn't hesitate, you know? (laughs) She's just, it's like the most perfect reaction you could ever ask for. I was like, I want Camille to be my grandmother. (laughs) I was like, that's just the most lovely reaction anyone's ever had. And, and I love that she didn't let the fact that she's, you know, in a not great place with her husband spoil that, you know, she didn't say, Oh, you think he's great now, but you know, give it a, give it time. You know, she didn't spoil that for her at all. She didn't say anything hurtful or negative. It was just, a love fest. It was just so supportive and joyful. And it was a beautiful moment between, yeah. you know, for Hattie to express that to her grandmother and her grandmother to just show just such open joy in her face with Hattie. I loved it. It was great. Now that I'm thinking about it, I'm wondering if if uh, Camille was thinking about when her love was young yeah, with Zeke and what that was like and 
you know, just rekindling some of that. I don't, I don't know. I just thought of that just now. It also, just hearing it now, it kind of made me think of that episode when they had, I think it was Namaste No More. They had that horrible family dinner and then Camille tells Sarah about Zeke's affair. And then she sees the collage of their family that Sarah has been working on. And I remember when I saw that scene thinking, well, Camille and Zeke are not in a great place. But then you just look at this collage of images of all these people who literally wouldn't exist (laughs) if Camille and Zeke weren't in love, at least at one point in the past, and all they've created and built from that. And this scene, now hearing it again, it's sort of the same, you know, Hattie wouldn't exist if Camille hadn't fallen for Zeke once and created this family. Do you throw all of that away when look at all this other stuff you've accrued from it. Yeah. And maybe so, that so explains hard. why she kind of almost randomly was like, you're such a beautiful girl. You're so beautiful. Yeah. You know, which, which really doesn't, you know, I mean, it's sweet, but it, it wasn't really the, you know, what kind they were talking about. Of nothing. Right. <laughs> but maybe that's it. Maybe it's like looking at a family collage, except you're looking at a real person right in front yeah. of you. And you're like, you exist because of the Look love that I made. Yeah. Look at we made. Look at we, yeah. Wow. And I do think, like I said, I think in the last episode, I feel like Sarah Ramos plays that glowing Ugh. in love teenage girl so well. I just she because I she does look to me at least like she has just a glow around her. Yeah, she almost radiates. About Alex. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, it's just. Do you have that clip where she calls him? I didn't. I didn't oh, that's make, fine. That's fine. I'll just do my impression. Okay. She was like, um. Hello, is this Alex? And, and he's like, um, "Yeah, Hattie." And she's like, "Oh, you remember my voice? <laughs> like, you recognize my voice?" <laughs> it was so cute. This little throwaway, and then the beat where he like pretends to look um, to see if she's on the schedule. schedule that's yeah. Oh, you're fine. But, you're on the schedule. Yeah. But he just knows that's an excuse. And oh my god, the only thing that troubles me a little about this whole freaking precious storyline is that in the very previous episode he told her really explicitly that he can't date and and that you know he's he's needs to focus on a sobriety and so I want to just let myself be over the moon excited about how adorable they are but that little piece is making me nervous like are they just ignoring what he said? Are they just going to go ahead and date? You know, I, I don't know. Did, did that, well, did and you, you know, think when she invites him to the house party of someone at her school, I at least inferred that his sobriety is the reason he said no. Yeah. That he yeah, thought, probably uh, not gonna go I'm going to go to a high school party at someone's house. There's going to be drinking there. Mm-hmm. And like you said about margin, margin before. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Could I go to the party and not drink? Yeah, Probably. But let's, I'm not going to drink if I don't go to the party for sure. So let's yeah. just not go. Well, it also has the potential to ruin his relationship with Hattie too. Yeah. If he gets drunk and makes an ass of himself or does something terrible, it could ruin that total relationship with that. And he's trying to stay away from that. He's trying to make himself a better person. So you got to honor that to a certain degree. One thing that I thought about was as an older person looking back at my life, the most important things that I have are my relationships and my experiences. And you talk about Camille and all the grandchildren that she had and the children that she had, the beautiful things that happened. Those relationships are so golden and all the experience that she had. And she gets to see Hattie and Alex in this brand new relationship and experiencing this young love. And it's got to be such 
a tapestry of beautiful mm -hmm. colors that she's seeing this just opening up for the first uh, blossoming for the first time. This has got to be so cool for her. Oh yeah. The relationships and experiences, all the money that we have, the debt, whatever we have, it's meaningless at the end. It's all about the relationships and experiences that we've had. So true. You know, though, talking about like that, that margin thing, it does make me think though, Alex did that when it came to drinking, like he didn't go to the party, but he's not really doing that when it comes to Hattie. Like he's, he said he can't date her, but then he's like, you want to come over and play Scrabble, you know? And like, are they kidding themselves into thinking that, oh, we're just friends or, or is he just maybe going to change his mind about what he needs for his sobriety? Or is he going to just kind of go along with it because the way they feel about each other is kind of rare and beautiful. And well, what are these arbitrary rules? We, <laughs> you know, I, I don't know. And I don't know how to feel about it. I, I love them together. So I, I, I just get a little worried because he was pretty clear about what he needed and they both are kind of ignoring it. <laughs> also, it wouldn't be an episode of Parenthood Pals unless I looked up something inane. <laughs> so according to ScrabbleSolver.com, be gays is a verb meaning to look at fixedly and is a valid Scrabble word. What? And it would be, it would be worth 17 points. Very cool. Um, look at me. Is not. <laughs> she tried to play. I'm RF. gazing. It's not a word. Oh, well let's go to my least favorite storyline of the episode. There's cold in those hills. <laughs> that was the best part of that storyline. <laughs> and you know, it's not even that I didn't like the storyline. It just, it paled to everything yeah. else that was going on. First of all, fun fact for any theater fans like myself out there, John Rubenstein, who plays Principal Taylor, was the original Pippin in Pippin. What? On Broadway. Wow. And then played Very Pippin's cool. father in the revival. He's just pipping all over that. And he's like a Tony winner. <laughs> and, you know, he's he's a big theater actor as wow. well as uh, many, many TV and film credits. So so Crosby and Joel, like the synopsis said, are exploring their creative sides. This is pretty <laughs> slow going. Yeah, it doesn't seem to be getting there. Yeah, it's early. You yeah. shouldn't memorize these lines. They're, they're boring. They got to do something. So, you know, what if I wrote something? Kids you running know, around. Something musical. Like a Broadway. Yeah. Yes. Hey, do you guys like music? I don't know. No. See how excited they are? Yeah, no. They haven't been that excited no, they... since we started. Yeah. Crosby. Since I got, yeah. Just, I'd love them to just memorize these lines first, and then we can think about adding okay, something Okay, but do up. you like the music I, idea? Yeah, I think it's a great idea. Just time permitting. All right, you're the boss. Okay. But did you see that explosion of enthusiasm? Yes, I saw it. Noted. You Thank guys you. like music? Yeah! But when Crosby says, yeah. what if I wrote, the, wrote something <laughs> like a Broadway, it reminded me of this cringeworthy interview with Ashley Simpson when she was going into Chicago in London. Oh. And she clearly thought that the word Broadway meant a musical. It is honestly such an honor to be in Chicago. It's such a great Broadway. <laughs> oh, no. And then the interviewer asks her, how did What's this job come about? And she said, and I was in Hawaii and I got a phone call, a uh, few offers for some movies and for some Broadways. And <laughs> oh, no. she just thinks that they're called Broadways. 
<laughs> so I guess, yeah. For you anyone know. who's curious, Broadway is a street. <laughs> <laughs> it's also a, a classification for theater that takes place in a certain district in New York, over 500 seats. What can happen in those theaters could be plays, could be musicals, <laughs> could be special events, but they are not Broadways. <laughs> I love Broadways. Now, <laughs> now, Caleb, as someone who, you know, has performed and conducted on Broadway, did it annoy you that Crosby was like, I'll just write a little play for these kids like a Broadway, you know, like, the, <laughs> like just equating the kind of work that they would be doing with the not really, because I think on that level, I would buy that someone is like, I'll just whip something up. That I would believe. Although I did say, I mean, I took almost no notes on this storyline because <laughs> I was like, whatever. <laughs> but I did say, what did I say? I said, man, I wish I had more to say about the Joel Crosby storyline, <laughs> but I'm not sure I do. I do think that sometimes people who haven't had much experience putting together live performances with or without kids don't fathom how much time things take and the kind of time Amen. management needed to efficiently pull things off. So that that was my only like critical thing about it. And so I guess I, in that sense, I would agree with Joel. It's like, you don't just come in and, oh, we'll just throw something together. You don't do that with almost anyone and certainly not with six-year-olds. I was really struck just Joel is not usually the type of person to kind of storm out the way he did at the end. <laughs> And at first I thought it seemed a little like overreacting and a little macho. And I was like, this isn't like Joel at all. But then I thought that would be really hurtful if the principal had, you know, like here I am, I'm sure he's not getting paid, you know, devoting all of these hours to volunteering my, my time to the, to this play, you know, I'm a, I'm a contractor for God's sake, (laughs) you know, (laughs) here I am doing all this and you're the principal just like ask somebody else to spice it up and you guys don't talk to me about it. And uh, so I, I, I think, yeah, that's pretty hurtful. I guess you're right. But I, I did write down, I felt like Joel's reaction at the end was almost comically dramatic, which I realize (laughs) now is also kind of an oxymoron. Uh, yeah. <laughs> and then I wrote, honestly, who wouldn't gladly hand off a children's play to their brother-in-law? <laughs> and I, I did would. think Crosby was right when he said, why wouldn't you want them to sing? I'm like, that's true. There is yeah. nothing cute. And I will say, in trying to corral six-year-olds, I actually think music is a great tool to do that. Yeah. It's quicker to memorize a song than a line. So I think it makes sense to have them sing even as a time management thing. Now, I think you would want to decide that before you were in a room with 40 of them. (laughs) Right. (laughs) I also thought the scene where he had like given them all noisemakers, that the the fact that they were all quiet before he said on the count of three, make noise. I'm like, well, that's not realistic. As (laughs) soon as it's in their hands, (laughs) someone's going to be making noise. Lyle, any thoughts on that particular storyline? It was painful for me because those guys, it's a brother, you know, it's, it's the son and the son-in-law, first of all. So it's a family kind of a situation. But just the idea that you're making those kind of changes in the middle of that thing. And, you know, you're trying, as Joel is trying to make it something really meaningful, he's telling them, we've got to tell the story of California. Well, they're six-year-olds, you know, <laughs> put a couple of elements in the story, but it doesn't have to be historically accurate and, you know, dramatically you know, synchronous with history kind of thing. But also 
Crosby being thrown into that, I think the principal saying, hey, I want you to do this, and you're kind of put on a spot. I think he should have said no. <laughs> but um, it was just painful for me to watch. I didn't want to watch that part. I agree with you guys. It was the least meaningful for me in the whole episode. Oh. Well, luckily, it's going to be in several more episodes. <laughs> oh, no. no. It's a multi-episode arc. I don't understand why. But I will say, do Jasmine and Julia get more to do after this episode? I genuinely don't remember. But I'm like, wow, it's like each of them just had this very brief cameo where they were just supporting their man. And I'm like, oh, no, I, I want much more of you and much less of this dumb play. So, Me too. Anyway. We also got some trademark parenthood clunky exposition about <laughs> Jasmine. Oh, wait, one quick question. Mm-hmm. Uh, who's kicking ass at parenting so that their fiancé can kick ass as a visiting artist at Berkeley? <laughs> oh, so she's a visiting artist at Berkeley now. Good That's to know. what she's doing now that she's left Alvin Ailey. <laughs> Thank God we didn't have a storyline about that. That sounds really boring. <laughs> I don't want to so... watch this elite dancer teach students at the collegiate level training. I want to watch parents... <laughs> <laughs> Six-year-olds. <laughs> <laughs> it's totally true. Yeah. I And I wonder what Julia was doing at work that day. We were just on the wrong people. <laughs> like, yeah. like, let's just have Crosby and Jolby in the background. It's like a Rosencrantz and Guildenstern situation. <laughs> we're like following the wrong people. Okay. Well, let's go to the Christina Max storyline. Yeah. The first thing I took note of was that when she's in bed with Adam at the beginning and she's wondering, you know, what happened with this invitation? Oh, maybe it got lost. Maybe there was a mix up. And he's like, yeah, maybe he's real supportive. And then as soon as she's like, maybe I should call her, <laughs> you can see on his face <laughs> that he thinks, Oh no. Clearly. So clearly he didn't think there was just a mix up. He's thinking, no, our son's being excluded. That's what's happening here. And I think you should just deal with it. Anyway, that was my interpretation. And it made me wonder, are their differing attitudes towards Max coloring each of their assumptions about how he's going to be treated by others? We've talked a lot about how Adam really struggles with not seeing Asperger's as like an affliction. But I feel like in this situation, he's thinking, yeah, our son has a hardship. And so people are going to exclude him because of it. And I think Christina is thinking... My son can never be excluded from anything. I have to remove every obstacle in his path. So if he's not invited to a party, his life is over. Anyway, what say you? Especially you, school psychologist. Yeah. Yeah. No, I felt like this was very poignant. And I thought it was very real as well in terms of it happens a lot with kids with disabilities and particularly Asperger's and just so we technically understand, Asperger's is no longer the category that that's listed as. That's old. It's considered to be high-functioning autism. It's just under uh, uh, umbrella of autism. There's high-functioning, there's moderately functioning and severe. And they consider that to be relatively mild. But as you can see in episodes, he struggles with that, with temper tantrums, with socialization, can't losing, those kind of things. And a parent wants to do everything they can for their child to have them be the most productive that they can possibly be. But poor Christina, I think she wants everything to be perfect. And it's just not going to happen in any, any situation or any relationship. And I think it's important to start realizing that you're not going to get invited to every party. 
that you're not going to be included every single thing. I do think it was a relatively positive thing that could have been a potential landmine for her to have that date with the mom. That is well Uh, put. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. It turned out, I think, okay. And I think she handled it really well, but it could have been really bad in terms of trying to be too much of a friend or trying to make, now that we're friends, can our kids be friends kind of thing, pushing a little too hard. I think it was nice of the other mom to acquiesce to that. But in reality, a lot of times that's just not going to happen. And I think I was telling in my mind, I was saying, Christina, kind of just let this one go. There'll be other battles to pick. There will be other friends that can happen. I think it was good to find out that really the core of kind of the difficulty was winning and losing because that's something that they can work on. They have a behavior specialist that that they work with and she is so hot. (laughs) (laughs) That's how Adam and Crosby describe her. (laughs) I mean, she's beautiful. I don't know if all behavior specialists are that beautiful. Most of them are. It's a prerequisite. It's a prerequisite. (laughs) But that would be something for them to work on that. And I think they do. They work on that winning and losing thing. And they do it in a very behavioral way, which is true. This is how it's handled. You can't, there's no social nuances that happen with that high-functioning autism. It's really a situation, what can I get out of it? What can I tangibly get out of this? I want to win. That's all that matters. Relationships, you might as well be a chair, okay, the other person. You really have to find value. And so she does like, she gives them rewards and gives them little tokens to earn a reward to do you know, in previous episodes, I think they do that with swing and stuff, but they yeah. have to look Sticker at it system, this way. Gabby. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, um, but with mom, I think she has to realize some of those things are okay to let go. Relationships get rekindled. We have to remember something. Kids are resilient, okay? They're more resilient than adults. They're handling COVID better than adults are right now, yeah. okay? They have their struggles, but they're really taking their anxiety from what adults are doing. And so even with Christina, I would say, you know, don't stress out Max by trying to force this. (laughs) Max doesn't seem to care. Max doesn't (laughs) seem to care. You know, Uh, you have to pick your battles. Sometimes it's okay to take this on. Sometimes it's not. I, I would advise Christina to maybe let this one go and work on future relationships for Max building those, but it, it can get better, but it doesn't have to be, everybody always included with every single thing. So it was, it was, I felt bad for mom because I really, with Christina, because it's a real issue and you want your kids to be happy. When you sign on to be a parent, you're expecting, it's like a vacation. It's like, I was expecting a vacation to Hawaii. And when you have a kid with a child that has a, with a disability, it's more like, oh, you get to go to Belgium. But I was expecting to go to Hawaii. It's going to be warm there. Well, now it's going to go to Belgium. It's going to be beautiful. It's not going to be as warm, but there's going to be cool things in Belgium. It's the same thing with Max. If you look at the episodes with Max, there's some cool things about Max. Yeah, He's a cool kid. You know, there's some great things about him. Um, he's an expert in herpetology. You know, that's just what <laughs> all kids can do. But that's the way Christine is looking at it. I, I didn't sign up for this. Yeah. Uh, I really want something different than what's happening in front of me. And so she has to start rethinking her mind in regard to the value of Max and uh, their relationship and Adam's relationship to Max as well. But I thought it was a very interesting, I thought it was very real. I thought it was very realistic. A lot of times we see these things that don't 
it seems like that's really unreal or they handled that in the worst situation. I think that was a, a reality check for all of us in regard to what we see with students with um, high functioning autism or Asperger's. You took so many words out of my mouth about <laughs> my opinions about what happened. Like, especially at the end, I thought that her strategy of let's bring our kids together and work with my behavioral aid and we can really work on this winning and losing thing. I thought that's actually a really constructive, healthy thing. My only wish was that she had kind of detached that from the invitation to the party. Yeah. Because then it seemed like transactional. Like, hey, if Max does this, can he then get in on the list? Right. And I thought, no, you should have Max do that because it's a valuable skill that you now know he needs to work on. Mm-hmm. It shouldn't be your ticket to the party. It should just be, hey, our kids are going to get along better. They'll both yeah. grow from this. And yeah, I also put like, wow, this had the most outrageously positive possible outcome. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> actually, the first time I watched it, I actually felt angry um, that the show sort of rewarded what I thought was Christina's terrible behavior. Like, I, I was like, wow, the show made it seem like it was okay for her to completely not respect or value this mother's answer of no. And I, I, I would, I don't know, it really rubbed me the wrong way. When I watched it the second time. I just want to say, I, I totally agree with that. Like, yeah. Especially when she started talking to the child. I was, I was like, like, what are you doing? A, to me, yeah. I was like, this yeah. is yeah. like Zeke no, and Matthew. No, stop. Yes. You don't cross this boundary. That's, I thought this, this episode. problem. This episode could be called way out of line. Like, I just, <laughs> I was like, everyone is, just back off everyone. Yeah. Put yourself out there. Get yourself out of there. Get yourself yeah. out of there. Yeah. I the same and and I thought it's pretty entitled you know it's 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 uh, it was just kind of I almost thought ugly behavior and when she called it cruel to that mother I was like I felt so bad for that mom I'm like she gets to invite whoever she wants to her party this Mm -hmm. isn't about you this is about Emily like I don't know I was I was angry when I watched it the second time that's when I watched it with Mark and and I (laughs) maybe it was I had prepared him because I was like this is going to get so bad. And he, so I think he was waiting for it to get much worse. And then he was like, oh, that wasn't so bad. And then he was like, you know, it's not like Christina didn't work on something with Max, like the winning and losing. And I, I was like, that's true. So I do think that it helps that she didn't just say, my son is perfect. He needs to be invited to the party. You know, I think it's good that she actually heard that little girl, heard Emily and took it to heart and didn't press you know, about, she didn't say to Emily, he needs to come to the party, you know, like yeah. it, it could have been so much worse. I noticed that the second time too. Cause I, cause the first time I had the same kind of visceral yeah. reaction. It's like, and then no, like when no. I watched her interaction with Emily the second time, I thought, oh, she never is putting any pressure on Emily. I mean, I still think it's kind of crossing a boundary, Yeah, but at least she's just asking Emily what's going on. And then when Emily says he can't lose, Christina is is sympathetic. She's like, yeah, who likes that? And I, <laughs> I thought don't. it was a nice touch to Emily. <laughs> I don't. I thought, oh, that's like what Lyle, you were saying some of the socialization. I thought that was a nice little touch. Like, yeah, that's what that's what we're learning. You know, these kids would say they would answer kind of a hypothetical directly like that. Who likes yeah. that? I don't. 
<laughs> we're going to play games so he can't come. I liked how similar to Max she was, you know, and yeah. I thought how fascinating mm-hmm. for Christina to be talking to a kid who isn't her kid, you know, like where she's got all this like love and, and you know, just all that. She's just talking to like kind of a random kid who speaks the way Max does. It must be kind of a reality check for her of this is what Max sounds like to people who don't know him and love him. Like how interesting, but I was a big fan of Emily. I like that. She was like, I'm having a party. I didn't invite Max. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I don't know. I liked her too. I liked yeah. that character. I thought it was she really knew what she wanted. Form. And yeah. then when she was done, she just left the conversation. You know, she just yeah. left to go to a different thing. Yeah. Now, Lyle, I have one question for you. Yep. In their last, well, their penultimate scene together between Andy and Christina, she says, you know, haven't you ever done something crazy or outrageous uh, just to be an advocate for your kid? Have you ever done something that you then look back and I go like, wow, I was a little loony, but I was trying to be an advocate for them. You know, I'm trying to think if there was any. Yes, actually, there is. And, um, it was a situation where my son, Adam, was in a soccer team where the coach was really he yelled a lot, you know, yelled at the kids and they were very young. Okay. Very young kids. And he was treating them like they were college age (laughs) kids. And, you know, if they win or lost, it was going to be the end of the world. And it was just, so yeah, we had a team meeting about it and I, you know, I, we called the team meeting and we got a bunch of parents together and it was totally divided. Some of the parents were like, he can do whatever he wants. He's the coach and it's okay. And some of the parents were feeling, you know, you got to soften a little bit in this whole thing. And, you know, you stepped into the whole thing. I don't know if it was the right thing to do, but you just get so fiercely loyal to your kids sometimes where you just step up or you say things or you do things that, you know, are kind of, what was I thinking or what was I doing in that situation? So, yeah, I've had those moments in life. I think I'd like to say that I've always been rational and always done the right thing, but I'm sure there are several things I can't recall. I'm maybe blocking them out right now. <laughs> you never punched anyone in a checkout line? Nope, nope, didn't do that. <laughs> well, you're doing all right, though. <laughs> so it happens. You just get fiercely loyal for your kids, and sometimes it's just... I remember also that when Aaron went to college, my middle child, he was the one that always, when he went over to somebody's house, he didn't do well. He got sick and had to come home. And, you know, that was never a good situation for him. And then he went to college. Okay. And I was concerned about him. It was a long way away. He was going to be in Dallas. I was in Kansas City. I can't go help him. And we're texting each other. And he talks about um, that he was going to get to go to breakfast with some new friends. And then he went to the breakfast and nobody showed up. Oh. And I was like, I'm going to kill those kids. Oh. They totally set him up. They were going to let's be friends and have breakfast. And then <laughs> we're going to not do breakfast. And I found out later that wasn't the situation at all. He'd gone to the wrong spot or something. Oh, good. Um, but I was, I was so upset and I just wanted to hurt those other kids. It's like, do you realize this is my child and he's sensitive and, you know, he's trying to make friends and you're setting him up and, you know, it's, it's hard. Especially if your child has like social difficulties and Aaron doesn't have social difficulties. He's great. 
But like a child that does have high functioning autism, socialization, sometimes it's like they can't socialize their way out of a paper bag. And so it hurts you when it's so difficult for them to have relationships. And really, it's okay if they just have one, if they just have one relationship, that can be all the that they need. And even if it's like an adult relationship, a grandparent or another kid, doesn't people are always worried, well, he doesn't have any friends his age. Don't worry about that part. Worry about socialization in general with family members, with grandparents, with a friend, with a teacher, whatever. That can still be meaningful. Yeah. It's when you can't have a relationship with anybody that's the most disturbing and needs the most therapeutic support. Because later on in life, it's really an issue with people with high-functioning autism that they're often the ones that can't retain relationships, you know, romantic relationships, or they get married a lot and divorced a lot, that they just struggle with it a lot. And um, we teach those kids early on to have scripts. Here's a script. Uh, Stop talking about lizards and (laughs) ask her this. I love the way that you do this, or I see that you're doing this to help cultivate those conversations that develop into relationships and socialization. But it's a rough, it's a rough road. Nothing is natural for them with that socialization. But I loved Christina in terms of her love for her child, but you get a little bit crazy when you start poking (laughs) into other parents' questions and definitely talking to the other child. It's like, stop, don't do that. Yeah. And, you know, it it didn't occur to me until we were talking about this that, you know, we've seen episodes where Adam clearly is not kind of seeing his son for who he is, but rather as who he would like him to be. Mm -hmm. And it can be really insensitive. And this is sort of Christina's version of that, I think. But with her, it manifests in a overly protective, overly caring for her, her child it looks a lot less um, icky, <laughs> for lack of a better term. You know, when Adam wants his son to talk to him and wants him to be trained better. And yeah. It's like, ugh, Adam, okay, I, I think I get where you're coming from, but man, that's that's ugly coming out of your mouth. Hers is not nearly as ugly, but I think this is kind of her her version of, I thought I was going to Hawaii. Why am I in Belgium? Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, and something just as a, teacher, English teacher, I think is so interesting is point of view. And often we root for whoever's point of view we're in. But I I often think if we were in someone else's point of view, we might feel totally differently. Like if this were Andy's story, the mother of Emily, instead of Christina's story, you know, Christina would not come off well. It would be, Mm -hmm. you know, Andy going home and talking to her husband about how this pushy woman was trying to railroad me and wouldn't take no for an answer. And then she talked to Emily and then she did it again. You know, that's how we would look at it. And And now I'm going over to her house to have sushi sushi and wine. (laughs) Why not? Because the show rewards her. Like, I I do think. Yeah, that was a little unnatural. Yeah. (laughs) Well, think about Andy was in tears. Yeah, she was so upset. Yeah, when mom, when Christina was pushing her, she says, "I just want Emily to have one party where she can have what she wants, and that's not unreasonable, I don't think." So I felt bad for Andy. Yeah, Yeah. I did too. And in that scene, which I really loved, 
it seemed like as soon as she brought that up, that Christina, it looked like she got it, that it resonated with her. And she's like, okay, Reader, I get it. Reader, she did not. But then, yeah, she just kept going. <laughs> and you're right. From her perspective, it was, I don't think it was that she was not taking no, well, she, but she was, forget it. Oh. <laughs> she wasn't taking no for an answer. Yeah, she yeah. was pushing. Anyway, I'm glad it all worked out. Yeah, sushi wine. It's good. <laughs> nice, always nice to see Gabby and yeah, sushi and wine. It's nice of Minka better. Kelly to drop by for like two minutes. Like that's good for her. Well, on to the last storyline. Speaking of things, it was nice to see. I thought it was. It really warmed my heart to see Amber just get a good score on the SAT. You know, when we yes. keep saying, "Oh, we just want Amber to get a break." It's like, oh, she got a break. She did something good. Even though she was trying to carry a three when all of her scores had zeros and fives at the end. <laughs> <laughs> also, some that. stray observations. I loved in that scene that Drew was wearing this long plaid bathrobe. And it, I was like, that's so old man of him. And then, like, recently Amber has been knitting. You know, like, she's yes. knitting in this episode. It's like, these kids are so retro. <laughs> and she also is, like, making tea for her mom and for Adam. I was like, yeah. she's so precious. I love her. She's like a grandma in a teenager's body. Yeah. Yeah. Here's an Afghan I made. <laughs> Something I loved about this particular storyline is that I honestly didn't remember it, and it did not go where I thought it would go. When we first met Carly, I was like, oh, here we go. We've got this rival for Sarah's attention. She's going to be jealous. Like, I've seen this on other shows. I've seen this happen. And instead, for that to be a non-issue and for her to just be the person to have this opportunity for Amber, I was like, oh, that's so nice. That is infinitely more interesting. (laughs) And, yeah. and really satisfying and lovely. So I noticed that too, that when she walked in and there was this beautiful woman there, Yeah. as soon as she left, the first thing Sarah said was, isn't that so great about Amber? Come on, have a donut. Yeah. <laughs> and that she was just like, not, I mean, and then she did say, who was that? But she's it, tall. Yeah. <laughs> and funnily enough, when she said she's tall, it made me look up. Isn't Lauren Graham pretty tall? How tall is she? She's 5'9". That's how tall I am. So for uh, for Lauren Graham to be calling another woman tall, she must be pretty tall. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I also noticed randomly in this episode, I thought Christina opposite Andy looked crazy tall, but Monica <laughs> Potter is 5'7". So, oh. you know, I suppose there's lots of women who are around, you know, five feet tall. If they stood next to a woman who was 5'7", they would look really short. That's so. the height difference between your sister Jay and me. I'm 5'9", and she's 5'2". So I think about that sometimes. How Isn't 5'9 pretty tall? Is that average? I think yeah. for a woman, I think that's pretty tall. Yeah. 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 I mean, I think I heard... I, you know, I'm just going to Google it right now. <laughs> yeah. Average this is the magic is happening. I think Jan is 5'8", I think. Yeah. I think she's 5'8". As of 2016, the average height for American women 20 years old and up is just under five foot four inches. Wow. Okay then. Wow. Wow. Pretty tall. I um I loved the scene. Speaking of her making tea, when Adam comes over to oh get my the gosh. book from Sarah, and uh, and she also mentioned that you might want to talk to uh, my friend Carly Barrow who went to Berkeley. There it is. There's what? Look at you bringing it up so casually. What? This is ridiculous. This is a setup. It's I'm not being a setup. ambushed. Yes, but yes. Uh-huh. Come on, look at you. You're getting all nervous. This, this is not... orchestrated by my no, mother. No, 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 this is not orchestrated. Okay, okay, that's great, but it doesn't change the fact that I this don't want to This isn't a big deal to you. No, it's not a big deal, okay? 
Okay, since it's not a big deal, then why don't you just go talk to this woman and well, see what she has to say? Well, since it's not a big deal, why don't I just not talk to her? Or if it's not a big deal, why don't you just sit down with the woman this. who went to Berkeley, loved it, and, you know, so you have a conversation. I just don't want to. I don't know why people keep pushing me to do it. You don't get Listen. it. Every time there's, like, a big thing like this, I always mess it up, and I'm so tired of messing Amber. up. Life will knock you down more times than you can possibly imagine. Don't knock yourself down. Don't avoid feeling embarrassed because you're afraid something's not going to go well. So what if it doesn't go well? So what? Amber, you are a wonderful, talented, and a really smart young woman. All right? Put yourself out there. Give yourself a chance. Ugh. Yeah, that was nice. It was. Good advice. And Mae Whitman, my God, she starts that scene so flip and funny and then like is crying by the end of it. And I'm like, that is such impressive acting. It's yeah. not like the scene starts with her in that emotional place. It's so light and casual at first. I was just very, I yeah. just continue to be so impressed by her. Very believable. Yeah. 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 And I had a different reaction with this storyline, also first viewing versus second, well, especially this scene, though, though when I watched it the first time, I thought, how strange that Sarah's turning to Adam to talk to Amber. Why Adam? You know, it's not like, oh, well, we know Adam and Amber have that great relationship <laughs> where whatever he says, <laughs> then she'll be on board. No, we haven't seen that. And so while I, I liked the scene the first time anyway, but I did think, hmm, that's kind of odd, but I guess it had to be somebody. But then the second time I watched it, I thought, this is so true of parents and children that sometimes it doesn't matter who it is as long as it's not your parent. Mm. Because, And I think I think it's that feeling of like, well, my parent has to root for me because yeah. they're my mom or my dad. And so, of course, they're going to think I'm great and I should put myself out there. But getting that kind of validation from anyone else who you maybe think doesn't have that same kind of obligation. It can mean a lot. And so suddenly when I watched it the second time, I'm like, it could be Adam, it could be Joel, it could be anyone. But Amber just needs to hear it from someone who she knows isn't obligated to say it. Yeah, that's a really good observation. I hadn't thought of that. I also thought it maybe the scene is a little corny, a little just like generically inspirational. But by this point in the in the series, I'm I'm so invested in these characters and I like <laughs> them so much that I just totally went with it. Uh, oh, me too. Well, and I was so struck by how much Amber sounds like her mom, which I'm I don't think that's ever going to get old for me. No matter how much they mind that, I I think I find it just kind of fascinating every time that they both, for some reason, are so quick to dismiss their own value. And they're both so great. You know, I don't understand why they do it, but I totally buy it because I know lots of people who do that. And I did it for, for a long time. I still can. I don't as much as I used to, but I just, I, I keep hoping that they'll be able to find a place where they have more confidence. But, but yeah, it was just really so real and and sad that that was her reason for not wanting to do something like that was she just assumed she would screw it up yeah and i can relate I, my my version of that is 
I think my least favorite feeling in the whole world is feeling stupid. I mm. I mean, I mean, I know no one likes it, but <laughs> any situation where I feel like I might be made to feel stupid or might end up feeling stupid because of how it goes, I'll try to avoid it. But you can't, they can't all be avoided unless <laughs> I never like want to achieve anything ever. Right. <laughs> and I remember one time in particular, my friend MK, who'll be on the show soon, folks. Yay. She has this little saying that she came up with called cut the drama and it pertained to something else when it was born. But I remember when I was being interviewed to join the adjunct faculty at NYU as a coach, I had been working there for a long time as like an independent contractor. And then this position became open, but I had to interview it for it. But I knew everyone who was potentially hiring me. So it's like, oh, go in and be interviewed by your friends. Uh. And it was just very awkward. And and I had to coach a student in front of them as part of the interview. And I was just incredibly nervous about it. And I, I look back and I know, oh, the reason I was nervous is because they might think I'm stupid. They might think I'm bad at my job. They might not hire me. And then now they actually have to like articulate that to me. Caleb, we don't think you're good enough to do this. And then how stupid will I feel? I've been here this whole time and I'm not up to snuff. But I remember getting ready to go to that interview and then hearing MK's voice in my head going, cut the drama. And I thought, yeah, I'm nervous. Of course I'm nervous. Am I so nervous that I don't want to go? Because that's an option. I don't have to interview for this job if I don't Mm -hmm. want to. And I thought, no, I'm not going to not do that. Okay, then you're nervous. Acknowledge it and don't make a show out of it. Yeah. And I felt like that's what I was doing. I was almost like putting on a show for myself of, oh my gosh, I'm so nervous about this interview. Just cut the drama, go do it. Huh. But it's hard. I mean, I'm not going to pretend I'm good at it. <laughs> you know, we, we all of us, we don't think that other fee- people feel this way, but we all feel stupid at some point. We all have nagging insecurities. We all have times that we maybe we don't feel like it or acknowledge it, but we're smarter than some people on some things and we're stupider than some people on others. And it's all in that very spectrum-y way. But we feel so much inside of ourselves that nobody else is experiencing this. Everybody's so much more confident than I am, but we're all in that same boat. And I have to continually remind myself because I get an Eeyore kind of an attitude of just terrible at everything. And, you know, it's never going to be a but I have to force myself and I channel my dad because my dad is the ultimate champion. He's the ultimate positive person. He is the ultimate child that digs through the horse manure thinking there's got to be a horse in here somewhere. Look at all this manure. <laughs> there's the, there's got to be a pony. You know? And so I have to channel that to be positive and to put myself out there, which is the name of this episode, because... I also know, I've heard from older people, and I've seen it in the research, what do people say that they wish they would have done in their mm-hmm. life? And almost always a major question or a major statement is, I wish I would have risked more. Yeah. And think about it. The idea when we go to that interview, when we have to do that challenging child case study that we have to do, we're scared to death, okay? We're really afraid we're going to look stupid. We really think that things are going to not work out very well. You also have to look at your batting average with that. You know, look at your past experiences. Did they work out? 
Did they not work out? In my life, it feels like a lot of the stuff worked out that I was so concerned about, that I was so worried about, that I, I didn't think was going to happen, or didn't. It, it kind of happened. And so I think taking those risks and putting yourself out there has major benefits for the future. And so that's what I would also say to young people is it's they fear the failure, they fear the success. I think um, Amber is fearing success because she got such a great score on her ACT. Now all the pressure is building to do something fantastic. Yeah. But don't worry about that. I wish they would have let her had a week or two to say, you were great on that ACT. We're so proud of you. Yeah, it was great. That was the coolest thing ever. And then maybe start talking about what we want to do now and talking about the risk factors. It's, let's take some, let's go wild. Let's go crazy just for fun. Let's apply <laughs> to Berkeley. Let's apply to, you know, what could be the worst thing that can happen? But we also set her up too for what kind of questions to ask that sort of stuff. Because when she actually had that interview with the lady, it was painful you know yeah let's talk about the grateful dead or i don't know what what, rolling stones rolling stones yeah it's like i can't use that (laughs) you know set her up for some better questions because believe it or not and i hate this about this but that score that she got on the sat can set her up for a multitude of things i mean think about how much tens of thousands of scholarship dollars are tied up into this one test yeah. Ugh. I call it the money test. I hate that. Yeah, I call it the I money test. It. Yeah, I hate it too. One test, but it, it's wrapped up in so much money. But I didn't know that as a kid. Nobody mm-hmm. told me, you know, <laughs> yeah. I, I didn't even, I should have practiced more on that test. I probably wouldn't have done perfect or as well as, but I, I think I would have done better than I actually yeah. did. But so I think we've got to help our kids with that and set them up. But I think we've got to gently tell them that risk-taking has major benefits, major benefits. And what I do is I talk to kids about monetary value. If you can get this, then you'll be able to have a cool car later on. You'll be able to have other options on what kind of things you want to get. Um, You'll be able to choose what kind of jobs you want to do. But the less money that you have, the less options that you have. And you just lay it out there. Now, they might not necessarily take that on. That's fine. That's fine. They may have to learn it a little bit the hard way. But at least you've done your job as an adult to tell them, here's what I found out about the wisdom of this, and to gently give it to them so that they can make the most meaningful decisions that they want to make in regard to going forward. I think I just had a personal revelation while you were speaking. Wow. (laughs) Because (laughs) when you said you think Amber's afraid of succeeding, something that I've been struggling with as I get older is... I've always handled my nerves well. I've actually had people say that they have noticed when I'm in high pressure situations, and I'm talking about like performing. So performing in high pressure situations, they say, man, you it looks like you have nerves of steel. You seem unflappable in those high pressure situations. And I always appreciated it because on some level I felt that way. And I always said, it's not that I'm not nervous. I am nervous, but I do kind of go into a mode where I'm I'm focused on the task and and I feel like oh the nerves are just the things that I have to feel to make me able to perform that task. That's mm-hmm. just how I get there. But as I've gotten older, I feel like I'm getting worse at it. Really? Even though as I'm getting older, I've had more and more successes that I can look back on and say, "Look, I was really nervous for that interview and I got the job." 
oh, I was so nervous to conduct Dear Evan Hansen for the first time. And yet I did it and it went well. I have all these things to point to and yet I get more and more kind of undone by my own insecurity. And I think it might be that I'm afraid of that as I pile up these times when I've succeeded, then the consequences of not succeeding become even greater. That's a real thing. Oh, if I failed, but I've only failed before, big whoop. But when I fail and I've only succeeded before, I'm falling from much higher. Mm -hmm. Even though there's a a much better lesson for me to take from all those things. (laughs) I'm just focused on that that other possibility. I think that's true. (laughs) Well, I think it's not good. But here's the thing, too, is don't thoughts are not always real. Right. And that thought of having a failure or having a mistake, even though you've had a high level, it probably is not going to be the end of the world. It probably won't be. You know, there's always a probability that you make a mistake and you'll never get hired for any job ever again. You'll be sweeping up somewhere, you know. (laughs) But the reality (laughs) of it is probably not is you'll you'll get other takes, you know, take two. (laughs) Right. Anyway, I love when Amber's getting ready for her interview that someone finally calls Gordon on basically being a walking cliche. Hi. Hi. I'm sorry. It's just funny that you actually said that. Hey, hey, hey. (laughs) I'm sorry. (laughs) I, you know what? Showtime. I loved that she, like... He's Beetlejuice. (laughs) It was just so obvious that she was not trying to be disrespectful. She just could not help herself that I found it infinitely charming. (laughs) You know, if she was trying to be rude, I wouldn't have liked it. But she's like, I'm sorry. I can't believe you actually said that. It's the best. I'm also, I've been a big fan of her just totally owning her own awkwardness in the interview. I would totally do the same thing where, where she said... Oh, sorry. I'm just a little nervous because, like, do I be myself? Do I do that? I I find that kind of honesty like very disarming. Just, Me like, too. Diff- diffuses the tension, and then everyone has permission to to be a little realer. Yeah. Well, and I I really loved that Carly had that story about um, you know, annoying that was written, and I just thought, oh, that is such a lovely thing to share with this young girl. You don't have to do that. She could totally have presented herself as yeah. I'm successful and I, you know, but the compassion she shows this young girl by like revealing something vulnerable about herself that I'm sure she wasn't planning on telling her. It was just this lovely real moment. I really liked it. I also maybe have never liked Gordon more that he facilitated all of this. And Mm -hmm. then I, I also loved the scene with Sarah because it was just nice to hear her very candidly confess some of her insecurities. I just wanted to say thanks for setting up that meeting with Carly. Right. Thank you for making that happen. I. It's no big deal. No, it's it's a big deal. I worry a lot, you know, that all the choices I made haven't helped my kids, and so I want them to have possibilities. I want. Amber, right now, to have whatever she wants. Well, I, I think Amber's a really cool kid. Yeah. You know why? Because you are an awesome mom. <laughs> I mean that. Sexy one, too. 
And then he's just regular old Gordon. <laughs> <laughs> but up to that point, it was nice just to hear her say like, yeah, I worry about my choices and they're not yeah. good for my kids. Who wouldn't worry about that? Yeah. It just seemed so, so honest. It's funny. Right when that scene started, like when Sarah walked in, Mark was like, hey, so is he going to be a dick? Because Mark knows that I hate Gordon. And I had to like admit, <laughs> I had to admit, I was like, no, he's actually really nice in this scene. <laughs> I was like, <laughs> and yeah, it's it's like I kind of begrudgingly liked him. And then I'm like, you know, Melissa, you were very charmed when Mr. Sear said the exact same thing to Sarah. <laughs> like, you're a great mom. You're a wonderful mom. Awesome mom. Whatever superlative it was and i'm like you just you're you're gonna have to give gordon some credit so Mm -hmm. i will i will also agree that he was pretty he was amazing in that interview (laughs) yeah (laughs) the last note i took about a specific scene was the scene between amber and sarah Uh, which was a beautiful scene and yet i didn't take a note about them i said Good Lord, that yard is gorgeous. I wrote, I would want to read outside on an adorable wooden bench under a blanket beneath twinkling fairy lights, too. It's just, it really was like entrancing. A little scene. Oh, look, there's a chicken. Was there? (laughs) (laughs) Taking away the focus of the moment. Yeah. 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 So sweet. Good moment. Yeah. Yeah. So, what did we all think of the episode as a whole? I thought it was a really good episode. I thought it was very entertaining. And I thought there was a lot of reality in it, which I love seeing. It makes me want more. I want to know what happens. With the play? No. With the play, <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> Definitely the play. That was the only thing that I want to see happen. No. I don't care about that Did they that find play. the golden in those? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, truly. But I really want to see what happens with Amber. Mm-hmm. I really want to see kind of Max get older and see what happens with him in regard and their relationship with his parents and also Adam and Christina's relationship. I've seen episodes in the past that, you know, because of their struggles with Max, it's challenged their their ability to be cohesive and also relax with one another and different things. So I thought I was provocative. I love Hattie. Yeah, Um, she's pretty great. I know. And I think I want to see her relationship with Alex, see what would happen with that. I love a happy ending. And I want that to have a happy ending so much (laughs) with them. They're so cute together. And um, Alex seems to be such a cool kid. And Hattie is in love with him and (laughs) is so excited about their relationship that I I love that about that whole situation. But yeah, that's the main thing. And Zeke and Camille, I want to see what happens with them. I really want that to have a happy ending as well. And I want to see what happens with the art class, you know, after it's all over, what's the resolution with that whole thing. I really want nothing bad to happen with that. I want that to be a situation where Zeke can trust her and this is evidence that he can trust her in the future. And that I want them to have a, a better relationship. And so we'll see what happens with that. But um, I want to see that relationship blossom, even though they've been married for 46 years. I know for a fact in relationships that if people can grind it out, even at the worst times, there are such dividends and benefits for staying together 50, 60 years that it can be a beautiful thing. So I just want to see their relationship become something 
um, really colorful and beautiful in the future. So I love the episode. It was a good episode. It made me want to watch more. Yay. <laughs> I loved it too. Um, I really feel like I remember season two being wonderful and I'm like, oh yes, here we are. The, I, I don't know. I just, I feel like the last few I have just enjoyed so much and uh, I feel like we're really in it. So what about you, Caleb? I liked it too. The The first time I watched it, I thought the episode felt a little light, a little inconsequential. It's like, oh, this is just a time passing episode, isn't it? Like hmm. Nothing major happens. But when I watched it a second time, I mean, I think it's one of the things that's so great about parenthood. In a lot of ways, every episode is tiny moments. Yeah. When what they do so well is they find they find something big within the, the tiny moments. Yes. And that I think is what resonates so much and makes it often feel real in that way because most people's lives, hopefully, are not all that dramatic day to day. Hopefully it's just kind of like steady as she goes. <laughs> but it's the little things that can have such a huge impact. And um, so, yeah, once I watched it again, although I do, there were like of the five storylines, I didn't care all that much about the play or um, in some ways, I didn't care that much about Christina's storyline. I thought it was interesting, but I wasn't like riveted by it. No. But yeah, I liked I liked the episode, especially the second time. And it seemed like the idea of risk, like we discussed, was present in a lot of the storylines. No. Camille took a risk bringing up the issue of this class. Hattie is taking a risk confessing her feelings. Amber's taking a risk. I guess... Crosby's taking a risk <laughs> on the play. Uh, Christina took a real risk talking to Emily. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, I think that'll do it for this episode of Parenthood Pals. This, this is the best puppet ha- puppethood pals episode ever. Yay. Lyle, thank you so much. You it was so great fun to, to have you here. Best episode ever. <laughs> this was just a damn delight i loved it good yeah i loved it it's fun. it's fun yeah good good well um listeners please follow us on twitter and instagram and like us on facebook we're parenthood pals everywhere and you can always find us at our website parenthoodpals.com <laughs> well until next time may god bless and keep you always and may your wishes all come true